Hey everybody, this is Daniel Patrick and this is episode number 159 of the Mandolins and Beer podcast brought to you in part by my favorite website, The Mandolin Cafe. It's also brought to you in part by Acoustic Disc where Dog Works Volume 3 is now available. And by the way, you should definitely go over to Acoustic Disc. There's a link in the description and at the website, mandolinsandbeer.com. And uh, they have the treat of the week, which is they're giving one song away each week from some of these incredible releases. So be sure to check that out. And this month's podcast with Dog and Danny Barnes is talking about Olden in the Way, the boarding house sessions. So great stuff. And also brought to you this week by Grace Design. My Felix 2 preamp just showed up FedEx today. I'm so excited to check it out. Uh, Grace Design makes some of the greatest preamps in the business, and there's a good reason why some of the best acoustic players in the world are plugging into them. So thank you so much to Grace Design. Hope everybody's doing well. I just got back from Michigan earlier this week. Great shows. Thank you if you showed up. I really appreciate it. Um, in my in my hurry to get to Michigan, though, I realized that the Sam Bush album comes out today, the 11th. For whatever reason, I had it on my calendar um, for last Friday. I don't know what I thought of there, but so, and I was in Michigan and didn't have a chance to edit that. So anyway, it's available today. It is killer. And my guest today, David Benedict, their brand new album, him and his wife, Tabitha have a beautiful album called Traveler's Rest that is available today. Um, it is so good. I mean, we talk about it. I really love this album. It's, it's amazing. There's also an article right now at the Mandolin Cafe homepage about this too. So I recommend you go and check that out. I want to send well wishes to Dan Gable from Peghead Nation, by the way. He was in a bit of a biking accident, and he seems to be doing okay aside from a few broken bones, which is, uh, you know, it's weird to say a few broken bones, but it could have been way more serious. So, Dan, I'm thinking about you, buddy, and I hope all is well and you heal up quickly. And speaking of Peghead Nation, talk about a segue. They've got the best mandolin courses out there on the internet today. They got them for mandolin, guitar, banjo, fiddle, dobro, ukulele, and bass, old time, bluegrass, jazz, shoro, all of it. Some of, I mean, in, in the best instructors, I, I say it every week because I mean it. Sharon Gilchrist, Joe K. Walsh, Mike Compton, John Reichman, Aaron Weinstein, Marla Fibus, Chad Manning, Ian Curry, and a new one coming from Joe Walsh soon. I just posted about that, so I can't wait to check that out. These courses include high quality multi-angle video lessons, downloadable notation and tab, play along tracks, and plenty of tunes and songs to play. Join any of Peghead Nation's video courses now and get your first month for free. Just go to pegheadnation.com and use the promo code MANDOLINBEER, all one word, all lowercase, at checkout. Get well, Dan. And speaking of promo codes, if you go to straightupstrings.com and use the promo code MANDOBEER, all caps, all one word, at checkout, you're going to get a 10% discount from now until the end of 2022. And that is on books, strings, and the pack of strings. And when you go to Straight Up Strings, be sure to sign up for their newsletter. Uh, it's really informative. Uh, they released, they put it out monthly. Uh, just came out a, a couple days ago. Always look forward to reading that. And by the way, I know most of you are mandolin listeners, but if you play banjo, guitar, and now the uh, Resophonic Adobro, they have strings for you to get. They just released the Resophonic strings. So be sure to go to straightupstrings.com, use that discount, and don't forget about the books as well. Uh, if you're ever thinking about doing any sort of uh, mandolin building, Step one, go to straightupstrings.com and buy those books. Northfield Mandolins, let's build more than a mandolin together. Check out their website at northfieldmandolins.com and download their app at mandosummit.app for lots of special performance recordings, demonstrations, and special workshops. Ear Trumpet Labs, hand-built microphones in Portland, Oregon. 
Their mics are beautifully designed. They have great feedback rejection for live use, the most natural tone you'll find for acoustic instruments. Check them out at eartrumpetlabs.com today or pretty much on any stage that, you, uh, that you're going to see. And uh, David's got a great Ear Trumpet Lab story in this podcast. That's really good. Uh, Ellis Mandolins, handcrafted mandolins, designed and built in Austin, Texas, and Elderly Instruments. Elderly Instruments is your trusted source for new, used, and vintage fretted and stringed instruments. For the experienced beginner player, their vast selection of mandolins, guitars, banjos, ukuleles, and did I say mandolins? Includes all of the accessories and books to go with them. All instruments are inspected and set up for easy playability, and their down-to-earth and knowledgeable staff are there to help. They're in their 50th year of business. They are family-owned and operated. They ship worldwide, and you can visit them anytime at Elderly Dot com. Let's get into the episode with David Benedict, everybody. Uh, this album, again, beautiful album, Traveler's Rest, definitely available today. You need to check it out ASAP. David's such a great guy. It's always a pleasure to talk to him. So enjoy this episode with David Benedict. Cheers, everybody. All right, now I'd like to welcome back to the podcast guest number one, guest number one, David Benedict. David, how's it going, buddy? It's going great, Daniel. It's so good to be back, man. I, uh, I've been following closely with all the episodes on the podcast, and it's so fun to get to be here with you again, man. Thanks for having me. Oh, man, it's my pleasure. And and again, I, I, I don't know if I've mentioned it on the podcast. I, I might have, but uh, I, I tell a lot of people when anybody's like, how did you decide to start a podcast? You were like a really big part of that when we uh, met up in Ireland, because uh, I was just like, you know, I, we've been like Facebook friends kind of, but we had never really met. And then yeah. we we met and hung out in, in Northern Ireland at a at a gig in Ross Trevor. I'm just like, boy, it seems like so many people in this genre are so friendly and approachable. And I'm like, I, I bet you could reach out and just do podcasts with a bunch of these people. <laughs> and it worked out. But you were a big. That was a big impetus. I I started the idea oh, for a man. podcast like four weeks later after we met. I'd I had say. no idea. That's so cool. I'm, it's funny. I was just thinking about that gig recently. That was so cool getting to see you there. I'm sorry. The sound was so bad there. I think we were using one of those ear trumpet lab mics and we didn't realize until after the show was over that we had the mic facing the wrong way. <laughs> oh, <no. because laughs> so like tons of feedback, but uh, it was like such a cool little pub. I guess it didn't really matter too much. You could hear pretty well in there, but. Um, oh yeah. You would have never was, known. It was that gig was great, man. And Ross Trevor's beautiful. Isn't it? Yeah. It was, um, it's one of my favorite places that we've been to over there. I, you know, go over there quite a lot since Tabitha's from there originally. And, um, there's this beautiful spot up there called killed Brony. And there's this big stone flat stone thing at the top of the mountain there. And it's supposedly the inspiration for, uh, the stone table from the lion, the witch and the wardrobe that CS Lewis book from the Chronicles of Narnia, which is one of my favorites. I grew up reading that one. So it's cool to see all these like amazing, sites that I know I've read about or, you know, didn't even know about until, you know, getting to know the UK a bit better through Tabitha. Yeah. That there's a little, um, placard uh, up there somewhere near that area too. Um, when you go strolling, not too far from the, uh, Ross Trevor Inn, where it said like, uh, CS Lewis said, this is the closest thing to Narnia he'll ever see or something along yeah. those lines. I'm like, yeah, I can believe it. <laughs> it was beautiful. Totally, man. It is. So what else you been up to, man? Um, we're going to talk about this brand new album that's coming out, but you've you've been pretty busy. I saw you at IBMA. You had an incredible performance. You and Tabitha, um, one of the first nights there was excellent. 
Yeah, that was so fun. I mean, that probably is my favorite week out of the whole year. Um, just because you get to see so many amazing musicians and see old friends and catch up. And it felt special being back there this year. Um, I was there like for one day last year, but it was so vacant, you know, still because of the pandemic, but this year felt like, all right, things are getting back to normal. You know, we're starting to, you know, be around other people. And there's a lot of familiar faces there. It's actually, it's funny too. I think it's super special for me and Tabitha because that's where we met about five years ago. Tabitha was showcasing with Cup of Joe and I was with Mile 12. And we just met in kind of the backstage area of one of these showcase rooms and, and hit it off. So it's a bit of an anniversary of sorts for us. That's amazing. I didn't know that. That's, that's incredible. Totally, man. Yeah. It's, um, yeah. Raleigh is a special place for us. Wow. That's neat. And it was cool to have a, uh, a booth next to you for a short while as well. You know, yeah. uh, nightmare booth escapades at IBMA. <laughs> oh my goodness. It felt so bad for you guys. It was so loud in there. I can't imagine trying to record anything in that room. Yeah. Yeah. Fortunately, I didn't uh, end up doing any. Keith, Keith did a couple, but for me, I mean, I do a lot of them over the phone anyway, so I'm pretty comfortable with it. And to be honest, it's, it's kind of cool for me just to catch up or meet up. I've, I've, there weren't many people there that I probably hadn't interviewed yet, aside from a couple. So it was nice just to hang out with people I haven't met in person and pick some or just talk. So I took advantage of of that por- portion of IBMA networking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Likewise, I love it in bluegrass. Like networking just means you know making friends basically because you just get to hang out with all these awesome folks and everyone's so friendly. It's pretty great picking tunes till five in the morning as networking yeah networking (laughs) (laughs) well man you've got this incredible new album that comes out and actually uh, this this episode will be out the um the day that the album is coming out but it's called traveler's rest and you were kind enough to send me uh, a copy of it ahead of time and it is it is really incredible oh you're too kind thanks man I, um, I, I, it really, I get a vibe, one of my favorite albums, and it's probably because it was one of the first albums I kind of discovered, like I wanted to play mandolin with was this side by Nickel Creek. Oh, sure. Yeah. And I think a couple of the tunes on this album have a little bit of that vibe too. I think the first track traveler would, wouldn't sound, uh, too far amiss from being on, um, one of those Nickel Creek recordings, you know, it's just, it's so cool. Traveler, oh traveler, come back again For the door is always open wide Traveler, oh traveler, when journeys end Won't you find your way back here again? Won't you find your way back here again? Cause I don't know where you're going anymore Or what you'll see along the way Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, those guys were a big inspiration to me. I think that first Nickel Creek record was one of the first times I ever heard a mandolin and got me interested in starting to play myself. Um, and Tabitha grew up listening to them as well and take a lot of inspiration from their group. Um, so, yeah, I'm so glad. Like, thanks for thanks for saying that. I mean, it means a lot. What I really, really love about uh, the album, too, here is as we as we before we dig into it is just the um the arrangements are so cool man you know what i mean like it's i didn't know what to expect i saw you play one maybe two of the songs live at the showcase and um you know like 
some you know some stuff like that you would consider maybe singer songwritery you would be like oh it's some, got a couple chords and some vocals and man these songs are cool <laughs> like they're little journeys <laughs> <laughs> oh thanks man yeah we um I, we you know took our time with this record we we've only done one other project so far just this little kind of ep pandemic project where it was all just two instruments and two voices for the whole project but this this new album traveler's rest we you know branched out a little bit we got some special guests to join us and we also overdubbed quite a lot too like i ended up playing upright bass on seven of these tracks and i don't i don't usually ever play upright bass so that was a bit of a journey um and we got like some some percussion on a couple tracks um and yeah we thought it'd be fun just to explore some options with the arrangements in particular because we recorded it all here at our house we have a spare bedroom that we've kind of turned into a studio space and try to learn a lot more about the recording process uh over the past year or two with some help of some some friends to hopefully get a decent sound on this new record um so so thanks man yeah the arrangements were uh, a really fun part of the process like getting to come up with that together and almost kind of discovering how the song was going to sound as we were recording it too like this this is different than any other project i've been a part of because we recorded it over the course of maybe two or three months instead of you know usually you're in the studio for maybe like a week or a few days and you have to knock everything out um so this time we just you know started with the song we had the lyrics and the melody and kind of the the general form and then just kind of discovered what happened and would throw things against the wall and see what stuck <laughs> yeah well it worked <laughs> it's, oh, I'm glad. yeah it's excellent and you even played snare drum on a track here huh Causes all the waves to rise. It's the same storm that'll get me to the other side. With all its might, oh, it brings me to my knees. But through it all, I never reach the mighty deep. When we hear the thunder, I did, yeah, it was a. That was maybe the hardest part of the whole album for me. I like, I recorded so many takes and then ended up like just having to paste a, a take together. Like every single snare hits almost from a different take, you know, oh it's just like a <laughs> uh, so oh hopefully it doesn't gosh. sound like that, but um, no, I'm no percussionist, man, but it was, it was fun getting to try. And um, my dad's a drummer. So he actually played snare on another track as well. And, um, I've learned a lot from him over the years. I guess, like you could call the mandolin a percussion instrument, but um, it's totally different when you have like sticks in your hand and you're trying to hit something. You know what's interesting too is you had told me again before hearing this album, you you, you seemed like I want to say concerned, but you definitely had a bit of a bit of worry in your voice. Being like, yeah, it's where's like the first one we've done where you did a majority of the parts at your house, and so I was really blown away when I got it, just at how good the entire recording sounds. And not saying, you know, like you weren't capable of that, but just the worry you had in your voice. I'm like, oh, what do you, I wonder why you so worried. I mean, everything you ever do, your videos all sound good, but wow, this thing is, I mean, it sounds like you did it in a, a, a totally pro studio. Uh, that means a lot. I, yeah, I still feel a little bit worried about it in some ways, just because it's been, such a big learning process and we didn't know what we were doing for most of it. Um, but I think all that's thanks to, um, the engineer we got to work with on this record, a guy named Josh Clark over in 
uh, over in England. Um, he's actually a friend of Tabitha's, um, and he does a lot of engineering work for Kate Rusby. He's one of our favorite singer-songwriters over there in the UK. But he he just kind of took our our parts and did some studio magic and and turned it into something that sounded kind of decent. So um, we have a lot to to thank him for for sure. Well, I mean, first of all, what what mic did you use for Tabitha's voice? Because uh, Tabitha has a beautiful voice, obviously. But again, you know, anything beautiful can be ruined by bad miking technique. <laughs> you yeah. know, I've heard some terrible albums with some great bands, but whatever mic you use to capture her voice is just it's beautiful and airy. It, it's it sounds oh, fantastic. Crazy. What'd you what'd you use for the vocals? I was so glad. You know, we only have two microphones at the house. We actually, we just bought a third, but we only have one kind of large diaphragm condenser. And and we use that for Tabitha's vocals. And we also use it for the bass, for the guitar, for the banjo, and maybe a couple other things. But it's it's an Audio-Technica mic, and it's really cheap. It's, I think we bought it used for maybe three or $400, but it's an AT4030, I think it is. Um, that was recommended to us by one of my other engineer muses, this guy, Ben Surratt, over in Nashville, Missy Rain's husband. He's he's also done some other stuff. He did he mixed um, the Golden Angle record for me a, a long time ago and did a, a Mile 12 project for us, too. So he's been super helpful to us as well. Um, but yeah, it um, you know, I think we're after this project, we I think Josh had to do quite a lot of carving on the vocals to make things sound the way that they do. And we might end up looking at a different mic for the vocals in the future. Um, but we, uh, we really loved using that mic and, you know, it's, it's pretty beat up at this point. I think like the, the plug is starting to come out of the bottom and somehow it still works. And it really, um, you know, it was a huge part of this record. And then the only other mic that we have right now, it's, um, it's a Neumann KM 184 that we used on the mandolin and, I think on the banjo for claw hammer stuff on one track. Um, and I don't even have a pair. I only just recently bought uh, another one to use as kind of a stereo twin, but we just used the one <laughs> and somehow it sounded okay. I think one thing the project has done for us is just given us a lot more kind of confidence that, you know, y- you can, you can try stuff or you, know, you can make mistakes or all this stuff. It, it doesn't really, in the ma- in the end matter too much i guess um you know if you're if you're making music if you if you're playing stuff that you really like and you feel good about then like the gear doesn't matter quite as much even though it is a really important aspect of the process um but we you know after this project we've been really stoked to um you know upgrade our rig a bit more and and then start on the next project even though <laughs> this one's not even out yet do you use any preamps or anything like that or do you plug it just right into like a, a audio interface yeah, we just have an audio interface. We have um, like a Scarlett, I think it's a Focusrite I, let's see, what is it like? I've got it here. It's the 18 I, I think. So just a four channel mic interface and it's got, I think, preamps built in there. And it's, you know, it's not too expensive either. I think we paid maybe four or 500 bucks for it. I think that's maybe the next thing we're going to upgrade to maybe get one of those Apollo interfaces that has a lot of really nice plugins that you can mess with. Um, but this thing, it did the job. Not not complaining. So, um, writing songs. How do you how do you two go about writing songs? Do you write songs separately? Do you work on them together, right from the scratch? Let's talk about. Is there a track, maybe even in particular, that would on this album that you think was a good example of how you guys 
collaborate? Yeah, that's a great question, man. I am. I never seen myself much as a songwriter and I still don't feel like it's one of my strengths, but this record has been, you know, the, the project that I've participated most in that aspect. Um, Cause Tabitha and I, for most of the tracks, we kind of collaborated together. I will say like Tabitha is an amazing songwriter, much, much more of the, um, of the creative uh, in, in our band than I am. So a lot of times she would come, you know, to like a rehearsal, you know, I say rehearsal, we would just like be eating breakfast at our table together and, you know, she'd be like, I got this idea for a song. Like um, the first track, Traveler, on this album, um, we just moved to this town called Traveler's Rest, which is the name of the record. And we wanted to, you know, write a song about this place that we live in now. We moved here about a year ago and um, Tawitha came with the idea of this hook, you know, Traveler, oh, Traveler. And um, and then we started, you know, riffing on it and uh, came up with a chorus together. And then uh, we wrote... A version of the song and we realized oh we need to rewrite this from the perspective of your parents over in northern ireland so we uh you know spent another few weeks figuring that out together just on a google doc um and that's been kind of the process for a few of the other ones like um uh, like that song boxes towards the end of the record and garden as well the last song the last song was interesting because tabitha wrote the music and i wrote the lyrics to that one which i'm not much of a lyricist but we just kind of you know ended up collaborating in that way um but uh but yeah it, it's been it's been fun i mean being in the same place in the same house all the time it's pretty easy to get to collaborate in that way so um it's been fun to grow a bit more in this aspect for me at least <laughs> the um speaking of boxes it's got the really cool um the melody of the chorus and then i believe uh, you play octave mandolin on that one yeah yeah that's been a, a new thing for me just a, a couple months ago i got this octave mandolin built by a company called octolindo or their, their mother company is mandolindo or kr strings down in hawaii luthier named kylan reese and they just started making these i think it's just earlier this year i think i've got one of the the first ones that they put out in april and um it's a flat top you know guitar body style uh shape um but it's so fun to play you know it's got a, a small scale length and it feels really comfortable and that was the first track that i used on this octave on i should say Um, so I was just kind of figuring out how to, how to work it, how to, you know, mic it, how to play it. Uh, but that was, um, a, a pretty fun exploration. I, I just kind of sat in this room for a few hours where I am right now and, and uh, hacked away at it till something good hopefully came out. Um, <laughs> oh man. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Uh, something good definitely came out And that. So on that was the melody for the chorus there. Cause you repeat it on the, um, on the octave mandolin. Uh, as well, or, or or follow it with it. Uh, was the chorus already written, or did you come up with the mandolin part and then you had the chorus melody follow that? Yeah, that one we had um, kind of the the form of the song mostly worked out. We'd written the melody. I think 
the melody for the chorus may have come first and then figured out kind of this transposition uh, and, and key, this modulation to uh, another key for the verses. And that track was interesting because most of the tracks we tried to get um, kind of a, a bass layer track together where you know it's mandolin and guitar or mandolin and banjo just in the same room playing together. So there's some aspect of you know this live interaction happening on the tracks. But that one, Tabitha, we weren't sure like what instruments we were going to put on there. I didn't even have an octave mandolin when we started that track. So Tabitha just sat down in this room with the guitar and we played through the form of the song, or she did, just on her own. I was just sitting, you know, pressing the red button. And um, and then we thought, okay, like, it would be fun to have like a big instrumental part at the end, not even knowing that we would have an octave mandolin fill that spot. Um, but then, yeah, we, we picked this instrument up and it just seemed like a perfect fit for that song. And um, somehow it ended up building up pretty well at the end to make like a pretty exciting instrumental finish i hope um and we we also got on that track some accordion which was fun i never recorded with an accordion before but we got this guy over in england amazing uh diatonic accordion player named nick cook to just send us a, a track so that was like kind of the the finishing touch for that one and it really just kind of added so much dynamic to it which we were really happy with you have a uh, fantastic uh pedal steel player on there too on um, yeah. on the uh, will be fine. really adds a lot that's a, a, a again another great song but man that pedal steel really uh what a awesome touch i know yeah we um i think we were inspired um well we listened to a lot oh, a couple different folks who use pedal steel like I, i'm a big fan of the western centuries and then also we've been listening to vivian and riley have you heard them before um riley Kilcagno and uh vivian leva They've got a, a duo. They also play with a band called The Onlys, which is more of an old-time band, but they've kind of breaking out as a duo and do a little bit more kind of alt-country stuff. Um, and we just listened to their their stuff so much in the car recently, and they have this awesome pedal steel on one of their records. And it's like, oh, it'd be so fun to get some pedal steel. And so we finally just like, yeah, well, let's just do it. And we called our, our friend Carl Smashula, who's over in Tennessee. He's actually a fantastic mandolin player as well. Um, and he was kind enough to send us this track for uh, the pedal steel on will be fine. And yeah, it, it's kind of odd, you know, like going from more bluegrass stuff at the beginning and then there's like this really crazy Celtic instrumental medley later on, and then like a bluegrass song and then a really kind of out there country song with this pedal steel. Um, but hopefully it all fits together. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Oh yeah, actually that was I what I really liked about the album is it kind of reminded me of back when like you would hear like if you're listening to the radio on like a road trip and you would just hear different tunes. It's got a lot of variety in each track and they it doesn't ever it doesn't lose like the the uh the oh my god, what's the word I'm looking for? The connective, the continuity. That's the word I'm looking for. Uh that's awesome, man. Yeah, it's like it's hard to strike that balance between trying, you know, different stuff and 
trying to keep things interesting and still having the branding be on point. <laughs> Let's talk about that um, though, that medley. The uh, that's how did y'all come up with that? goodness yeah that well that's mostly like tabitha's brainchild and i just like you know, we, we would sit down together and kind of bash things out and rework some things together but um that one i was the most uh intimidated by because tabitha wrote these really challenging tunes at least challenging to play on on the mandolin i know they're challenging on the banjo as well but um i i wasn't sure how to play them <laughs> until like right about when we sat down and recorded them and um and we just recorded it like mandolin and banjo first and we had no idea what the song was going to be like or what who would get to play on it and we just had this wild idea to be uh to be brave and reach out to one of my absolute favorite guitar players of all time john doyle he's been such a big inspiration to me because i actually grew up playing celtic music uh before i ever played bluegrass or old time i played in a celtic band here in south carolina growing up and was really into john doyle's music especially stuff with liz carroll and he has a, a record on his own it's called wayward son and i'd still probably count that in like one of my top 10 favorite records of all time even though there's no mandolin on there <laughs> it's just incredible um and his guitar playing is just so driving and rhythmic and exciting and he's not too far from us here in traveler's rest so we just got this wild idea to reach out to him and Tabitha had some mutual friends from over in Northern Ireland and uh, he was kind enough to, to play on it. So we got his track next and he had these awesome ideas for, you know, reharmonization and the chords and rhythmic ideas and the arrangement. And then just got some other folks to kind of layer on top of that, a great Boron player from, from near where Tabitha grew up, a guy named Cahill Murphy. And then we also got the great Brian Finnegan, who's one of our favorite um, kind of Irish trad players. He plays in a band called Fluke. The Tabitha turned me on to. I wasn't aware of until a couple of years ago, but they're just an incredible, you know, modern progressive trad band. Brian's just an, an amazing whistle player and tune writer, and was kind enough to 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 record this and kind of transform it into something um, we didn't, couldn't even imagine. Just because he just added these amazing parts and textures that, um, uh, you know, only an amazing whistle player like him could have thought. <laughs> yeah, it is. Uh, I mean, just listening to it, it was like. Whoa, especially um, the back half of it, like the red tail talk as it's as it's like winding up. I'm like, I, I don't even know where you would start learning something like this, <laughs> you know, because that's I always try to visualize like, oh, the mandolin. And I'm like, I, I can't even visualize anything right now, except how incredible this song is. <laughs> oh, thanks, man. Yeah, I, I still don't know the timing. I was trying to trying to write out a chart for that one for some gigs we have coming up. We got a bass player playing with us, which would be fun. And I um, was like, how on earth do I count this? And I just like could not figure out how to write it out. So I just told him basically to go listen to the recording. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, and you've transcribed a bunch of stuff. So um, yeah, that's, that's saying something about the, uh, the track there, but you know, what's crazy though is um, as, as all good songs that are in odd timings go, you don't notice 
that the timing is weird. You just notice oh, that good. it's a cool tune. You're not, you know, you're not like, like baffled by, you know, the time signature. You're too busy enjoying it. Oh, nice, man. That's great. I, uh, I, um, I, I wish I'd had that experience playing. I was thinking about the time <laughs> signature probably too much. No, but I'm glad it comes across well. How'd you come up with the name for that? Uh, the Johnny's Peacock and then the Red-Tailed Hawk. Yeah, so um, it's kind of a, an homage to uh, a couple things. Like Johnny's Peacock is re- in reference to Tabitha's uncle. Um, she had an uncle, Johnny, passed away sadly, but he lived in a house really close to where Tabitha's family lives now. And he was known around the countryside for having a peacock in his backyard, which wasn't, I, it's not a common thing, you know, here in the States or over in Northern Ireland. So um, they just called it Johnny's Peacock. And we thought that would be a fun name for a tune. And then the red, red-tailed hawk is a reference to uh, uh, this hawk that comes in our backyard here in Traveler's Rest. It's funny. We just saw him this morning. He comes and sits on our backyard fence and we'll just swoop down into the yard and you know pick up little critters or whatever but he he makes regular occurrences into our, our life so we thought it'd be fun to have like you know the transatlantic fowl represented in our, <laughs> in our record here the um should i go that one like to talk that one's got some really cool uh arrangement part it has parts to it that are um, that I think add to the song and instrumental parts and I was wondering maybe talk a little bit how y'all came up with that Yeah, so um, the the whole album is kind of a almost like a concept album where it's telling our story over the past couple of years of um, you know Tabitha getting her green card and us you know moving over to the states together. Uh, I guess at the end of 2020, um, and eventually finding our way here to where we are in Traveler's Rest, which I didn't really ever grow up coming to this place, even though I lived in South Carolina, and we just to kind of discover this spot and fell in love with it. And um, Should I Go is kind of at the beginning of that story where. Um, you know, it's Tabitha basically singing from her own perspective. I imagine like kind of on the banks of Northern Ireland, you know, talking about whether or not to go to someplace new and try something different and just the uncertainty and the fear and confusion that can come along with big decisions like that. Um, so yeah, I think the song, the instrumentally is kind of based around that unsettled feeling um kind of sounds a little angsty tabitha says it sounds like evanescence played on the banjo which is hilarious um but i don't know it's like we we, tabitha wrote the the lyrics and um then this melody kind of came out of it and we uh, we thought it would sound cool with an octa before i got this octolindo instrument and then once we got it it it's just a matter of kind of piecing things together and um it's basically just a verse and then like an instrumental part. And then it's repeated with different textures and dynamics. And then towards the end, we get to this kind of climax where um, I'm kind of playing like a, a four feel over like a six, eight time. And Gareth is playing more of a three feel and um, has this kind of really unsettled feeling that hopefully, you know, builds excitement towards the end when there's this kind of, final resolution and decision to go. Um, so yeah, that's how that one came about. 
I think it sounds harder than it actually is. And it's weird how sometimes that happens where, you know, something just lays out on an instrument really well, or once you figure out like how the phrasing works then everything just falls into place. But that's one of our favorites to play live too, just cause it's, you know, just two instruments and, and voice and Tabitha like, it's crazy. Cause she can play all those great, amazing, difficult banjo stuff that she does and sing at the same time. So uh, I really enjoyed doing that one. I just I saw, I can't wrap my head around banjo at all. Let alone claw hammer. Like watching somebody play claw hammer is literally like watching a magic show. Like I just don't. I don't yeah. like, just like I know it's like an illusion. Like it doesn't look like how it should sound at all. <laughs> I feel that way too. <laughs> and the uh, the the one cover on there, by the way, is probably one of my all time favorite bluegrass songs, "Sunny Side of the Mountain." Yeah. And what a beautiful version that you that you all do. Now don't forget me, little darling, while you're going far away. Just a little thought before we meet again someday. I'll be waiting on the hillside where the wild red roses grow. On the sunny side of the mountain where the waters flow. Ah, oh, thank you, man. That yeah, that was a really late addition to the record. We um we wanted to write like another instrumental tune to put on here. We were we recorded all other all the other nine tracks on the album first and we got to the last one and we were like there's a lot of like intense instrumental stuff on this record. Maybe we don't need another instrumental. <laughs> so we were like, that'd be fun to do a bluegrass cover. Um, like we, we do um, sometimes for live shows, you know, to fill in some extra time, we'll play that flat and scrug song, rough and rocky, which we love. And, you know, a lot of amazing artists out there have done it. I know like Aoife Donovan's done a version of that. And, um, you know, we, we wanted something kind of like that to make our own. And I have always loved sunny side of the mountain as well. Just, you know, grew up listening to that Dan Tominsky record and Bill Monroe's done it, Jimmy Martin. And um, we're like, maybe we could give a similar treatment to another bluegrass song like this. And we even, I don't know, I think it was like we, we thought about it one day and then we played it slow and, you know, figured it out with claw hammer banjo and the octave. And, and then the next day we just cut it and that was it. <laughs> and uh, so it was a, a really fast turnaround on that one. Um, but it, you know, it's such a, a beautiful melody and, simple song i felt like it, it this treatment really worked well for it and we actually ended up writing it rewriting some of the lyrics to better fit with this kind of concept that we had for the record and make it more fitting with our story um so that was fun i remember hearing tim o'brien how he used to do that with old standards you know just would write new verses or rewrite lyrics however you wanted to and um felt emboldened after hearing you know tim talk about that and like why not just try that ourselves um uh, the uh, version of it too, um, it reminds me of something that you would see like in a movie where you were like, you know, just like in some scene, you'd be like, wait a minute, I know this song. Yeah. I know this song, you know, it, uh, yeah, it's, it's really, uh, you know, maybe you can get some soundtrack work out of that. It's a, it's a wonderful rendition that you do of it. Oh, thanks man. Yeah. We're, we're happy to have like you know, some bluegrass representation on it. We're I'm, like as a band, I guess we're still finding our place where we're, we fit and the genre spectrum you know we, we both love bluegrass i have to start playing bluegrass first but i actually started playing celtic music first kind of like this weird reversal of roles and then you know we um you know have the space here in this project more space than we've ever had to kind of explore these different influences and 
I uh, wanted to make sure bluegrass was still represented, even though I don't know, I'm not really doing a bluegrass version of sunny side of the mountain, I guess. No, but you know what, man, uh, it, it, for anybody listening to this, who might not have heard any of the tracks yet or not, though, there's plenty of mandolin on this album, by the way, and some just killer mandolin playing do like right from the get go. Like oh, the, if you're a mandolin fan, you're not going to be disappointed. And if you love good songs, you, you're in for a real bonus <laughs> because <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it, it's so fun to listen to, man. I, I think I've listened to it four times today. So, uh, well, that means a lot, man, especially like in this day and age, um, you know, when albums are, uh, are questionable or I you know like that concept of an album in general is just, you know, questionable and whether or not people actually consume media this way anymore or not but uh i'm glad there's people out there you know sitting down from start to finish for a project like this that means a lot yeah and i think the songs are all really concise too like it's the 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 parts um it's more like a short story than a novel each song i guess which sure you know which is which is perfect because it you know sometimes Parts are cool, but sometimes they can just completely be overbearing. Yeah, you guys did a really good job self-editing, I think. <laughs> oh, that's good, man. Yeah, like, it's sometimes we're our own worst enemies. I, for that phrase, like, kill your darlings. I don't know if you've heard that, but like the idea about like how, you know, the things that you, you hold on to the most sometimes are, aren't like the most important things about a song when it comes to arrangements or, or parts and stuff like that. So, I mean, yeah, there's probably a lot of... Uh, left on our computer that we didn't get to show on this album but uh <laughs> but yeah you know one of the the points of the, the songs to get across there more so than you know worrying about flashy stuff or or you know links or anything like that that's a big maturity too because both of you are pretty young and both of you are incredible players i mean you guys could you guys could put out an instrumental album that would probably <laughs> blow people's minds, you know, uh, just as easily as doing, um, actually, I think probably even easier than, than writing a song of like, or writing an album of filled with beautiful songs. I think that's tougher to do than just shredding for 40 minutes, you know? Oh, well, thanks, man. Well, we'd love to do an instrumental album at some point too. That'd be really fun. I would love to hear an instrumental album from you guys. Um, but yeah, it's th- this song. It's and again, it really captures a lot of influences. You know, it even reminds me a little bit. There was a song on here. Um, um, are you familiar with Damien Rice by chance? Sure. Yeah. Yeah. So even that reminded me of like his first album. I believe it was called O, um, which I love. Right. Yeah, I know that one. And I believe he's nice. Irish, right? I think he's Irish. I I can't remember. It's been a little while since I've I've read up on him, but I remember that record when it came out. Yeah, but um, I always loved that album. I thought it was just like beautiful tunes. And uh, this one, the, this has plenty of beautiful tunes on it. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah, well, it's um, yeah, it's been a, a process, like kind of discovering them all, but I'm glad they're coming across well. When you were, um, for, for making for mandolin stuff, let's do a little bit of nerdy talk for people who are home recording. Um, did you do any sort of sound treatment or anything like that on like walls or did you have anything to block any sort of sound bouncing around the room? Yeah. So we, this spare bedroom that we turn into a studio, is pretty tiny. It's like, I think it's eight by 10, which is not you know the best for recording. I think usually you want like bigger rooms for a bit more room sound so you can, you know, mic a little bit further away from the instrument and get more of that reverberance. Um, so we, we ended up, you know, miking pretty close, you know, like about a foot or less away, which, um, 
you know, usually I've done like maybe about a foot and a half or more. Um, and for the room, you know, we didn't want too much of the room sound just because there's like a lot of hard surfaces that are close by for all the slap back and echo. And so we, we have some, you know, some sound treatment on the walls. Had a friend who made these like really amazing kind of like fiberglass sound panels, like four by two foot. And we've got those hung up on most surfaces. Um, we have like a big bookshelf in the corner with some books that are soaking up the sound. And uh, we cover up, you know, a big window too, because that's always a reverberant surface. Um, but other than that, like we, uh, uh, we didn't worry about it too much. Like uh, we don't have anything on the ceilings. We do have carpet on the floor. So that's like a bit more uh, dampened. Um, and we also have like a, a closet in this room that we use as kind of a vocal recording booth. Although I think next time we might end up recording the vocals in a bigger room too, just to get um, a little further away from the mic and get more of that room sound too. Um, so, but yeah, we, I don't know, we just kind of tried stuff out and uh, we, you know, we've been in some different studios before and um, had a starting place and then kind of used that as a, as a blank slate to experiment, you know, moving the mic forward and backward or moving around some of the sound panels, depending on where we're sitting just to get a better sound. Um, but yeah, I don't know. We have a tiny home in our backyard that we threatened to maybe turn into another studio at some point. So that'll be kind of our next big project is figuring out that room and, and seeing if we can, you know, set up some gear in there too. That'd be pretty fun. Oh man, for sure. Um, where did you place the mic on your mandolin? Yeah, so for the most part, I I placed it towards the bottom f hole, and um, you know, just like you would if you were using a microphone on stage, that's where I usually point it to. Um, other like you know, if you're on stage with a 57, or even like I've used this Neumann KM184 on stage too, and you usually have to get pretty close, you know, within an inch or two to get the sound that you want in a, in a live setting. But um, so I I had it, you know, maybe about a foot or maybe. 13, 14 inches away from the mandolin, just pointed at that bottom F hole. But since, um, I guess it was a couple of weeks ago, I ended up getting that, that extra one. So I've got two of them now and I've been experimenting some with the octave actually doing, I've heard it's kind of the Gary Pachosa method, you know, the engineer who, you know, uh, recorded and mixed a lot of Alison Krauss's projects and Sarah DeRose. He's kind of like the gold standard in the acoustic world as far as engineers go. And he, I think, I've heard he does this thing where he'll, instead of doing like a cross or a T with the two mics just on top of each other at a right angle, he'll do kind of this weird thing where he'll point one towards the bottom string, like the E string on the mandolin, like up at an angle, and then he'll point another one kind of downwards towards the top string, the top G. So he's got like one catching the low end and one catching the high end but they're actually at the same point, like the same distance away from the mandolin and the same, um, I guess kind of the same angle, if that makes sense on, on, in a mirror, in a mirrored way, if that makes sense. Um, and that, that's actually, I, I enjoy that. I did a project this summer for, uh, an amazing, uh, guitar player from the Netherlands, this guy named Bertolf Flintick. And we did a session at the, at the Sound Emporium in Nashville, which was really fun. Got to work with Dave Cinco, and he does that as well, where I'll kind of the, the mic stacked on top of each other, one angle down towards the G string, one angle up towards the E string. And um, I really like the way it sounds. Oh, Dave Cinco's the best, man. What a nice He's guy. I know, yeah. Totally unassuming and just like super easy to work with. Yeah, I just actually, and he's so kind, like, 
ever since he's he was on the podcast a while back and um like i can send him just like the most random like catch up messages and be like hey just a quick question about clip on mic stuff and he is just like so quick responding and just like so much information i'm like oh my gosh you know thank you so much for taking it for for even responding first of all and you know just picking his brain is so fun absolutely man he's just like a a fountain of knowledge too and he's just like so easy to be around all of that what uh who are some of your favorite songwriters that you might have been influenced by on this album yeah yeah um a lot of folks for sure um i'd say um one of our favorite songwriters that we listen to quite a lot in the car is a guy named chris drever he's from scotland and he also plays guitar and sings with his band called lao um they they're like really exciting kind of irish celtic trad sounding band but he does his own stuff as more singer songwriter um I think like Christian Settlemeyer's played with him quite a lot on fiddle and a few other folks from here in the States. Um, but his, his most recent record, um, I'm drawing a blank on the name of it, but, uh, it's just full of these amazing songs with really interesting, unique arrangements, like time changes, key changes, and, um, like really interesting phrasing, um, and concepts, uh, as far as material for the songs, so um, I'd say he was a big inspiration to us for sure. And then also that, uh, that duo I mentioned, uh, uh, Vivian and Riley, uh, they've been really inspiring to us too. We actually saw them in Northern Ireland. We played at this bluegrass festival together uh, this summer. It's called the Oma Bluegrass Festival, and they were over there playing. So it was fun to get to see them in person. They're amazing. Um, uh, as far as other ones, I'm trying to think. We... Um, like I obviously you know, listened to a lot of Alison Krauss. Tabitha was like uh, when she was, I forget how, how young she was, but like, you know, a young kid hearing every time say goodbye uh, for the first time, hearing a banjo for the first time with Ron Block on there. And um, it's been a big inspiration to us as far as, you know, song material and performance and arrangements. Um, again, kind of like the gold standard of acoustic music, I'd say. What about uh, books? I know you you do some reading. How about, do you have any books that maybe inspire you lyric-wise? Because there are some really cool lyrics on here. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mentioned like C.S. Lewis at, at the beginning. He's been like a huge inspiration to me. Um, like both his, his fiction work, like with the Chronicles of Narnia. He also wrote like a sci-fi trilogy, which is really weird and, and fascinating. And then he's written so much prose over the years. Um, I think he was like a huge voice of reason and comfort during like world war two over in England as well. Like did a lot of radio broadcasting and, and some of the stuff, you know, I, I go back to like year after year and it just feels like it's a true North of sorts and kind of realigns me and, and what I believe and what I think to be true and how I see the world. And like that, the very last track on the album, the last song, that's the one where I kind of got to write the lyrics for it. And, was definitely thinking a lot about his his stuff and um also like tolkien too like J.R.R. tolkien i uh, authored the lord of the rings and so much more they were good friends over in england and um they both taught at oxford and they were part of this group called the inklings and they were just like this this group of writers that would meet up at this local pub called the eagle and child and um up until recently you could still go there and like sit in the same booth that they all sat in every week to discuss their own writings and um yeah, the last song is 
kind of based on a couple ideas from those authors. Like, um, there's a song that's blowing through my mind. You can hear it in the wind that brings the tide and leads me sailing on to the setting sun of last goodbyes and a land that can call my home. Through the shadows lie ahead. Journey's just begun. I can't escape that haunting sound. Better things yet to come. There's this idea in the Lord of the Rings of the Grey Havens at the end of the Lord of the Rings, where you know the elves and, and Bilbo go off into the distance, sailing away to you know this brighter home, this place where they can feel at rest. And um, and there's another quote from C.S. Lewis from this book called Mere Christianity, which I, I really love. Um, and I was just looking at it today. I, I'm going to butcher the, the quote, but he said something about how, like, you know, if if in this life you ever feel a desire in yourself that can't be fully satisfied, like the most logical answer is that you were created for another world. And, and you know, he goes on to explain it in much more eloquent words than I could. But um, but that that was kind of a big idea behind this this song, the last song which is not an Elton John cover. I know there's another song called The Last Song that the great Sir Elton John did, but um, but this one is it's just kind of sung from the perspective of looking for something better in life and looking for something to satisfy, you know, these longings that we all feel. I think that's a pretty universal feeling. You also, I got to see last November um, one of your the courses that you taught for the um, modern mandolin workshop. Was that what that was called? That Jake Shep's yeah, kind of put together? Totally. Yeah. And you did uh, a thing on the atomic habits. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a, that's been a huge inspiration to me. I don't know for some reason, like over the past couple of years, I've become like a productivity junkie and I just love, um, like there's this YouTuber that kind of got me into this. It's, it's a guy named Ali Abdal. He's from England as well. And I, I think I discovered him when he was just on the cusp of becoming like this viral sensation. And since then he's gotten like, you know, 3 million followers and um, makes these amazing videos on, you know, how to get more out of your life or be more productive and efficient in your work. Um, but he's, he's basically like a, a disciple of the James Clear atomic habits method. And, um, you know, I, I've, I'm ashamed to say, I haven't actually finished like the last couple of chapters, but I taught this class on it. <laughs> I need to go back and finish it. But, uh, that that's a fantastic book that just kind of lays things out so clearly and obviously it's like if you want to get better at something all you have to do is like build a habit around what you want to do in a way that makes you do it on a daily basis even if it's not like for for that long um and it's just you know another book that's kind of similar is that outliers book by malcolm gladwell that just gets a point gets across the point that there there's no no such thing as talented people necessarily maybe some people have like an an ounce of natural talent at the beginning but the only thing that sets apart like you and me from like chris steely is that chris steely practices for like 13 hours a day and forgets to eat because (laughs) he's so enthralled by playing the mandolin uh you know we're not gonna be like wayne gretzky because wayne would cry as a kid whenever it was time to go home from the skating rink so it's like you know uh like that's that's the idea and atomic habits just kind of breaks down that principle into really digestible and applicable concepts that you can shape your life around to hopefully get to where you want to be with not just music, but all sorts of things. Um, so that, that's been a super helpful book. Um, there's another one that's kind of similar. I just read called make time 
I'm drawing a blank on the authors. There's two authors, but um, that was also like a really inspiring book just about, you know, trying to um, control the inputs in your life. Like there's these, they call these things infinity pools that we all know so well, especially over the past couple of years being more online, like stuff like Instagram or Facebook or Netflix stuff. That's like infinitely refreshable and feels like it should be restful and rejuvenating um, because we spend our free time doing this stuff and ends up being like much more anxiety driving and, um, you know, wasteful in the end. Whereas like doing stuff like music or, or reading or, you know, listening to music or, or art or, you know, cooking and stuff like this it ends up being a lot more useful and productive in the end. Um, definitely recommend that for folks wanting to, especially, you know, from a musician standpoint, wanting to try to make more time in their life to pick up the mandolin and play because even I struggle with like getting to play. I'm, I, don't, I mean, I don't know if you feel that way too, as a professional mandolin player, I feel like I do everything but play the mandolin some days just because there's so much other stuff going on and I just forget to like pick it up and, and play it. But then when I, I build these habits around my life to kind of enforce myself to play it, as soon as I pick up the mandolin, even if it feels like work at the beginning, I always really enjoy it. And I always like want to play more than I intended to, you know, for longer periods of time than I intended to when I, when I get into it. Um, uh, so yeah, those books have been super inspiring to me for sure. Yeah. I struggle from the same thing, you know, like even like I play a lot of gigs too. And it's weird. Like I don't even consider that mandolin playing anymore. Like, I mean, I consider it mandolin playing, obviously I'm playing like three hours at a time, but it doesn't right. seem like I'm, I mean, to me, it's just, uh, the product of what comes from practice, you know? And I feel like if I just, it, I don't really feel like I've accomplished playing mandolin. If I play a gig, I don't, it's, I know it sounds probably kind of weird, but um, it's like automatic pilot. You know what I mean? Like I, like, I don't feel like I worked on something. I just feel like I went and did work. I don't know if that makes any yeah. sense, but. Oh, uh, no, absolutely. I mean, I mean, there's something to be said about like, you know, the Beatles playing for what was it, like 10 hours a day at that bar yeah. in Europe or whatever, and like getting better because of that. And I think that's like, like uh, another favorite band of ours is Seth Mulder and Midnight Run. They've just kind of like come on scene like the past few years, it feels like, and just taken the bluegrass world by storm. I think they're so good because they have like daily gigs at that, um, at that moonshine distillery when they're not on the road, they just play so much. Yeah. Old Smokey, right? Yeah. Yeah. And Poe Ramblin' boys too. I know they did that as well. Um, but yeah, at some point you have to have the space and time just like on in your own, on your own in the practice room to explore stuff and, and try new things and, iron out the kinks in a way that, you know, a performance setting really doesn't give you the space to do so. Yeah. I think it's probably what it is too. I mean, you, you, you get tighter and you, you get your parts better with a band, but um, yeah, I always feel like I need to come home and work on playing mandolin after some of those gigs. Like, <laughs> you know, it's the same. I just played uh -huh. the same stuff I've played for the last month on the, every song, you know, and, Oh, well, you know, it keeps, I think that's one of the things that makes mandolin exciting for me is I don't get enough of it. Like I can play, you know, two, three hour gigs in a day and still want to come home and work on stuff, you know? Yeah. And the, and the cool thing about that is too, is like when you, when you play those gigs and you're, you're not happy with your playing, which is like the story of my life, it, it shows you the things that you need to work on and the time on your own too. It gives you like direction and motivation to keep pressing in, in that practice time, which is good. And you, um, that's the other thing I tell everybody about this too. The other thing you showed in your, um, in that workshop you did was your calendar 
for the week. Oh, yeah. yeah. Dude, that is like the most efficient calendar. I mean, <laughs> that is impressive, man. I I don't do that every day. And to be honest, like um, most days I don't do that, but I'll I'll do these like deep deep work weeks where I'll really try to push and get stuff out. Um, it's funny. I have a friend I grew up with. We would do this thing instead of carpe diem, he called it carpe weekum, where he <laughs> would just you know, wake up early every day that week and try to, you know, go for runs and do push-ups and stay healthy, drink lots of water and then just like, you know, bust out whatever project that we wanted to work on that week. Um, so I still call him up. He's like, close by here in South Carolina now, which is great. We live so far apart for the past decade or so. And we'll just say like, want to do a carpe weekend? And, you know, I'll do that. We're all like, get on my Google calendar be like, what do I need to do this week? And then actually a lot time for it. That's another kind of atomic habits thing. And I think they call it like intention implementation, which is like a really fancy way of saying, if you want to do something, then if you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to do this thing, at this particular time in this particular place, you're going to give yourself a much better chance of actually doing it than you would otherwise. Um, because I you know I, I still have this experience all the time where I say like, Oh, I need to do this today. And then I'll look at my you know list of other things to do and I'll do everything, but the most important thing to do. And then like the day goes by and it's like, oh, I'll just do it tomorrow. <laughs> and then like, then, you know, that happens the next day and the next day and I still haven't done what I actually need to do. So um, yeah, that that's been, super helpful and if anyone's interested it's a really interesting experiment even if you don't plan out what you're doing for every minute of the day is to try to write out what you actually did do for every minute of the day for a whole week um and it shows you like how much time i i waste so much time just like on my phone or even doing productive things that i feel like are important but maybe not that important like answering emails or like uh doing you know stuff that is anything but what's going to ultimately get me to where I want to be creatively and musically like practicing or writing songs or recording or doing all the stuff, you know, we, we actually want to do as musicians, but sometimes just put off for some reason. Well, dude, you are always so motivating to talk to. I mean, you're one of the hardest working people in the mandolin world um, easily. Uh, it's, it's, it's motivating uh, to, to see how much you get accomplished, buddy. And this new album's so great. And uh, I just want to congratulate you on an incredible album and, and everything that you've worked on so far, all the success you've been finding. You've, you've earned it. Uh, I don't know about that, but uh, thanks, man. That, that means a lot. Yeah, no problem. And what's, what's 2023 looking like for you guys? Are you going to be touring? Any ideas yet? Yeah. Yeah, totally. We, um, we've been planning like a big album launch tour for February, actually. Um, so we'll be coming through like mostly kind of the South, the East States, some of the East coast, Tennessee, South and North Carolina. We're doing some Virginia, West Virginia. Um, and we'll be touring with a, a full band too, which is great. Like most of the stuff we've done so far with the foreign landers has just been you know, a duo meet, just me and Tabitha, but um, just to represent some of the music that's on this new album with, the extra instruments and players we're going to get a couple of folks to join us we've actually got um nate sabbath playing bass which is going to be fun for mile 12 It'll be fun to relive some some good times with him oh, cool. and um we've got julian pinelli playing fiddle who's one of our favorite fiddlers over in nashville these days um so that'll be great and um on top of that we're we are are doing some stuff with tabitha's brothers um in this other band that tabitha plays in cup of joe and um I've gotten to record with them a little bit in the past and kind of got grafted in when I, when I married into the family and, uh, and we're, we're hopefully doing some dates in the U S which would be kind of a first, um, 
the band has done like some showcasing at IBMA and a couple other little things in the States, but never done any real touring. So we're hoping that'll work out for maybe a couple months next year to hit some festivals and, you know, do some stuff in the Midwest on the East coast. Um, so hopefully that'll be happening next summer. Um, but other than that, we're, um, you know, we're, we're excited to like keep pressing forward, make some new music with the foreign landers too. And, um, like I, I mentioned, like we want to try out some new gear and get to recording the next album. So hopefully that'll be in the works for next year too. We'll see. That's awesome, man. Well, I'm excited, dude. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. And in the meantime, yeah. anybody listening, go out and buy this album, please go to Bandcamp. I I always enjoy talking to you, man. Thank you for taking the time to do this, David. Yeah, likewise, Daniel. It's always a blast. And thanks for all you do too, man. I was like, what an amazing resource for mandolin players and musicians in general, getting to like hear all the amazing folks that you've gotten to talk to over the past few years. So I hope it'll keep going for a long, long time. Yeah, me too, man. And you were number one. You're the number one, buddy. <laughs> well, I'm honored. Very honored, man. Oh, the, the feeling is mutual. Well, thanks for having me back. All right, David Benedict, thanks so much for doing the episode. David, be sure to go out and check that album. And, and Sam Bush's album is out today, too. So, okay, everybody, have yourselves a fantastic weekend. Cheers, everybody. <laughs>